Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, hello. Welcome back to True Crime Archives. So, Dad, this week we have a pretty good case to talk about. Yep, it's up to date, too. Yes. And, uh, you guys, this is another uh, genealogy case. Yes, it is. <laughs> we seem to like these. Well, yeah. they're kind of neat because it's neat how they how they track it back. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting learning about it. Also, there's just a lot to this case that makes me crazy and pretty passionate mm-hmm. about a couple topics that we're going to talk about. Um, and this case made me cry a lot. So this is also a uh, TV show on a, what is it, 2020? Yep. So there's an episode so you can watch it and then it's just up to date on everything. But... Today we are talking, yeah, it's very sad. I cried like 10 times. So today we are talking about the murder of Angie Dodge. So she was born on December 21st, 1977. She was the youngest of four children and the only daughter. So she had three older brothers. She has been described as very outgoing and intelligent and just loved life. In 1995, Angie graduated from Idaho Falls High School with honors and would then go on to start college at ISU. In 1996, she moved into her first apartment in a two-story home in Idaho Falls. And then just three weeks later, on June 13th, she would be found raped and murdered in her room. In February of 1997, there would be an arrest and conviction in her murder. This man's DNA would not match the DNA left at the scene. And over the next 20 years, Carol Dodge, which is Angie's mom, would not give up trying to find whose DNA was left. It was because of this that a wrongly convicted man is exonerated. And in February of 2021, so just a month ago, Mm -hmm. the real killer would confess to the crime. Thanks once again to genetic genealogy. So that's our little summary that we have. All right, let's, okay. let's unpack it. So, like I said, uh, June 13th, so three weeks before that, Angie had just moved out of her uh, parents' house, her mom's house, uh, because they had gotten into a fight about or a disagreement about a uh, a rule. And she moved out, and w- she wait actually... A wait a minute. <laughs> you're going to say something. A, the daughter <laughs> moved out of the parents' house? Because she didn't like the rules? Listen, that's not why I moved out. I mean, it's part of it. Okay. All right. Never mind. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I digress. Part of it. I'm sorry. I digress. Um, Yeah. So this is the part that made me cry the first time because she moves out. She did not. They didn't talk for three weeks. She went over to. So this was June 13th. So June 12th, the night before she went over to her mom's house and they made up Mm -hmm. and they left on good terms. They were speaking again. Oh, that's good. And then the next morning yeah. is when she's found. So that was just really sad. So on the initial investigation, there's going to be several pieces of DNA that was found at the crime scene. Right. So 1996, we're a little bit more advanced than... Oh, yeah. They're, they're in full swing crime scene processing. They right. have a unit come out. 
they got their suits on and they're swabbing anything that's wet and red and pictures and of everything pictures of everything yeah. collecting fibers the whole nine yards right and there was a lot there was semen hair and blood found everywhere mm-hmm. um which they are going to eventually everyone that they talk to they're going to test their dna against the dna left at the scene they end up uh testing over 100 dna samples All right so no uh, so in other words as they talk to people as as they right talk to they're people, like ruling people out Right. So, and I think you said it that almost everybody they came in contact with, they said, "Hey, would you give us a DNA swab?" And they and they took one. This that's that's pretty good. A hundred hundred samples they went. Right over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So that's in June. Uh, that doesn't really come up with anything though. Everyone that they're testing is negative. And then in December of 1996, so there is a Benjamin Hobbs. He's actually. Uh, it's it was kind of unclear if they were friends or just acquaintances, but he somehow at least knew Angie, uh-huh. and he was living in Nevada, and he actually yeah, I think committed. They grew up maybe, right? They were together, all at least yeah. it was a smallish small, town. Yeah, right. So they all at least knew each other. Everyone mm-hmm. in the sh- in the documentary, it's everyone is listed as her friend. Her friend, right, right? Exactly. He is living in Nevada, and he actually ends up committing a similar rape. So not a murder, just a similar, very similar rape with like the cuts and everything i believe and so police have him questioned in nevada his they test his dna also and it comes back negative but they they test them for the for this crime against right against angie's murder right against the the dna samples left Mm -hmm. of the scene where she was found uh but it comes back negative so because of that though they're like okay well Let's look at who his friends are, because if this is, you know, he's still committed a rape. If this is the type of it's very similar. If this is the type of person he is, let's look at his friends that are still living in Idaho. So that's December of 1996. January of 1997, they come to a Christopher Tapp. So he is the known friend of Benjamin Hobbs. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're going to bring him in for questioning. They're also going to test his DNA. And guys, his DNA comes back negative. Also negative. Yeah. They end up questioning him for 60 plus hours and put him through multiple polygraphs. So this is one of the parts of this case that I'm going to start <laughs> screaming about. So 60 plus hours of interrogation, Dad. Yeah, it's a lot. I was going to say, what do you think? That's a lot. What's going to come into play is the voluntariness standard, right? You. This is probably, your, I believe it was, a, it was rights advisement because we watched, I think we watched some of it. Right, so and his friend, I was going to say his friend makes a comment. He ends up implicating another friend. Yeah. His friend is like, dude, the Miranda rights, first sentence, you have the right to remain yeah. silent. So it's a rights advisement. Mm-hmm. So, yep, they, they waive their rights. Uh, but when you start to go into a lengthy interrogation, interrogation means you moved out of the interview phase, and you're, and now you're asking, you know. Pointed questions. Hey, did you kill? Did you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you. You have to be able, it's the burden of the investigators and the prosecutor subsequently to prove that it was voluntary, that they, they voluntary, voluntarily waived their rights and, and told you everything and confess. There are some things that go against you, and a lengthy interview is, is one of them. Now, I did, I did a, um, a two-day interrogation, about 10 to 12 hours each day, 10 hours, 12 hours each day, and you start to get nervous at the eight, nine, ten hour, 
you know, you have to make sure you feed them. Mm-hmm. You have to take them to the bathroom. <laughs> you have all, all those things. You have to, and you have to document this. And nowadays, it's on video, right? So was that one on video? Which one? The one I did? Yeah. Yes, it sure was. Ooh. Yeah, it was. And um, you can you you know you have to. Uh, now it's on video, so you have to be able to show. You have to be able to right. prove that it was it was vo- they voluntarily did this. Out, I, I got to tell you, from jump. 60 hours? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, what don't they have after 10 hours, after 20 hours, that they're in there for 60 hours? So um, when I started reading about this one, I am I was suspect right from the jump. And multiple polygraphs. Also, it does say, like, at yeah. some point he does have a lawyer present, but it's unclear of at what point that is. So, like, why did his lawyer allow that to continue? So that's my question. Yeah, we don't. It's unclear. Like I said, when. Yeah, that that's not. Um, so so again, so the lawyer probably came in afterwards at some point, right? Because hey, you have the right to remain silent. Okay, hey, good. You you want to talk to us? Great. You waive your rights, and sixty hours later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I don't know. And then multiple polygraphs, that doesn't make sense to me either. Also, one of the detectives, one of the police officers, was actually a resource officer at their high school. So mm-hmm. he had actually known Christopher yeah. and presented it as, hey, I'm I'm here, I'm your friend. Yeah. I'm not going to mess with you. And, and, you know, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, I'm going in after the fact. I, I mean, it just, like, that's, that's, interview interrogation one-on-one really you know the not to do 60 hours and no polygraphs. I, no you I, i'm just saying oh for no, him no, to yeah. say 60 hours could be okay what i'm saying is a lengthy interview lengthy interviews like that is goes against you you have to be able to right. you have to be able to demonstrate how it was uh, how the suspect voluntarily gave you the information you know, there's the rights advisement, then there's the mm-hmm. form for starters. But when you start going into 10, 12, 15, 20 hours, you, you have to be able to prove that, you know, the person could have left, that, you know, they had another chance to stop talking, that they, in other words, that they weren't like completely exhausted. They had the chance to go to the bathroom. They had some food, took a break, things like that. And then you document that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so that drove me a little bit crazy. And then throughout this 60 hours, he actually is going to end up confessing to the murder. And multiple polygraphs. I don't get that one. Um, yeah. So it was inconclusive. They do another one. It was inconclusive again. They do another one. I, I just don't. I'm well, not a fan of that anyways. I'm not a fan of the. I'm a fan of the polygraph question. Mm-hmm. Hey, so if I hooked you up to a polygraph. And and I asked you, well, no, not I, that's not what I would say. And I asked you if you killed this person, what would the results be? For the record, you guys, he uses that on me <laughs> growing up. <laughs> that's yeah. That I think that would be yeah, your favorite yeah. thing to say. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I just you know, yeah. So okay. Um, when you watch the video too, at one point the detective in the poly in one of the polygraphs is like. It's not really a question. He's just telling him, right? We'll get to that. <laughs> We're going to yeah, go we'll, a little we'll, bit more we'll in depth get to into that the because, videos. Because you can, what a lot of people don't know, and I think they talk about it on the documentary too, You so you can you can lie to bad guys. You can. Mm. There's a lot of things that the in, investigator can get away with, right? Right. You can lie. You can ask leading questions, mm-hmm. right? But 
it it's again that voluntariness standard it has to exist throughout the duration. So and right. lion, you know, at sixty hours, lion to to a suspect. I mean, I don't I don't understand. You know yeah. that you're gonna get again. You got to be paying attention to these things. Why are you at your fifty ninth hour still trying to get a confession? Right. Um, again, we'll talk about it, but his story changes so much. I oh, it drives me crazy. We'll get to that part. That is in January of 1997. So February of 1997, Christopher Tapp is arrested and charged with first-degree murder, rape, and use of a deadly weapon in the commission of a felony. Because he confessed. Right. Uh, he, That's why they arrested him. We said that, right? So he confessed. Mm-hmm. Somewhere within the 60 hours, he confessed. Right. And then his friend, uh, Benjamin Hobbs, that we mentioned, he was never charged, and he always denies right. his involvement. Then we go into the trial and sentencing. There was, again, a little bit back and forth. It was either May or December. You know, that's a big gap. There was a little bit back and forth conflicting information on when Mm -hmm. the trial was. This is 1998 now. So a year later. Uh, Despite DNA not matching, Christopher Tapp is found guilty and sentenced to 30 years to life. Now, the death penalty was on the table for this. This is something that they mentioned in the interrogation process. Um... the death penalty was on the table. He actually, so in the documentary, they had it, they were videotaping it, right? So we can actually see the footage of him in court asking for leniency. He, yeah, he, he asked right. for the judge to spare his life. Right. It was so sad. Uh, Angie's mom was not happy at that moment at all. Right. She went flying out of the courtroom, right. you know, and, and this is a typical response. You know, mm-hmm. my, my daughter's dead. Mm-hmm. How dare he asks for his life to be spared? Right, you and know? he up there is saying, "I did not do this. Please spare my life. I did not do this. Please don't." Right, so there wasn't really a reason. I didn't see uh, why he did this, but he decides to do thirty to life. So that's that's where we're at, nineteen ninety-eight. And maybe we should say so. They all believed maybe there's another another person right right so because none of this dna is matching but they have dna so originally the benjamin hobbs guy right Mm -hmm. so originally the police are thinking that okay the two of them are involved together however both of their dna's do not match as i mentioned earlier so they are kind of trying to get him to say who the third person is in the 60 hours right that's one of the things Mm -hmm. they're trying to do he puts up one of their friends he says okay maybe he was there that was him so they go to the friend, and the friend's like, he was mad. He's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, they're, they're His still DNA pretty does bitter, not match. Yeah. Right. His DNA does not match. So right now what we have is Christopher Tapps confessed. No one has matched the DNA. So there has to be a, a, another person, right? There's right. DNA left. Like, it was very clearly okay, left. Okay, so one guy down in jail for 30 years to life, and they still have someone else to find. Right. So the, Carol uh, Dodge is like, uh, nope, I want that. The, the mom. Right. She's like, I want the other person. Law enforcement also believed that there was another person. So after this conviction for, you know, the next 20 years, she's going to be up their butts every day <laughs> in the sheriff she not only did she show up to the police department like almost every day she also went out and did her own investigation she went out and canvassed the neighborhoods she went out at night she was handing out flyers she was talking to people trying to jog people's memory asking if they had any information on her daughter's murder so she was really you know an advocate 
for her daughter. Yes, she was really out she, there. It's not it's not finished in in her mind. Right. She needs to find the, that. The one that there's a killer the killer's in jail. Mm-hmm. But there was probably which somebody else that was, maybe raped raped her. He was still sentenced and charged for the rape though, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I you know, um because they believe that maybe he held her down or something like that. Mm-hmm. They you know, he, right. It, it's and remember I think I've talked to you about this before. The charges, the, the crimes are per the state, right? Mm-hmm. So e- each state, you know, every state has murder charge. Every every state has rape charge, and but there could be some wording that's that's different, and, and so that okay. yeah, that's that. Yeah, this is this one's weird, and and as we do, the more of these kids we talk about, it we, we see that right that the prosecutor's approach it's different is every totally time, yeah. different, right? You know. Over the years, too, Tap is going to continue to work at his release. He is going to file appeal after appeal, and appeal after appeal is denied. 1999, he files an appeal. 2000, it's dismissed. The Supreme Court affirms his conviction. Um, 2002, another one is filed. That one is dismissed also. It's going to continue on like this for years. He also is going to reach out to the Innocence Project, which I will talk about at the end. I am a big fan of the Innocence Project. You can talk about why in a minute, too. In 2008, Carol Dodge decides to review the interview tapes from Christopher Tapp. So she had actually gotten her hands on them a few years prior. Uh, Okay, so this is 20-ish years. Right. 20 years is when they reach out to uh, C.C. Moore, because that's 2018. It's in 2008 that she reviews the tapes. Okay, so in 2008, she decides to start to review the tapes. She's had them for a while already. Right. So she sits down to watch 60 plus hours of this Mm -hmm. interview and interrogation. And the more she watches, the more she's like, hmm, hold on. Doesn't seem like he was really involved. She begins to realize that Christopher Tapp could not have been. Right. And and when you when you watch it, they they, you you can watch the clips and they they chop it up. And at first he's he's adamant. He's saying didn't do it. Wasn't there. Didn't do it. He's passionate, Passionate angry about about it. And the thing is. This is, again, this is interview 101, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody's putting up, I guess it depends on your advanced training. Uh, the, my advanced training tells me that when the bad guy's putting up strong denials, like, nope, didn't do it, didn't do it, That that's that's an indication that, that they're being truthful. Mm-hmm. So he, he puts up strong denials, and then he, then he starts questioning himself. Well, I don't know, maybe I was there. And then, oh, now the, the police feel like they have a nugget, so then they continue on, and now he's confessing. And and so what? What did you use? How did you cut her? How'd you cut? Like, and there was actually some inconsistencies. And so by the end of the sixty hours, he's confessing to to stabbing her and killing her. Yeah, they. I mean, the police also tell him that like, oh, maybe he was. You know, he's suppressing the memory of being there because of the trauma. They're kind of feeding him answers of things that happened. Uh, they also threaten him with not only the death, the death penalty, but a gas chamber, which, yeah, was that a thing? And, and when you watch it, it's pretty disturbing. You know, I'm, for me, these guys are just inexperienced or less experienced. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. I don't think they showed up to work that day to violate someone's rights. They're just less experienced. Because you got to put together... So confessions are great. I I remember years and years ago had a supervisor, he would he would say, Ah, don't no need to collect any more evidence of the crime scene. We got a confession. Well, no, 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 you can't you can't 
confessions, guess what? They, oh, I didn't say that. I didn't mean to say that. It's almost inevitable right. once they get a, a defense attorney, they're going to try to suppress that, that confession. You have to continue to do the investigation and place the suspect at the crime scene, et, et cetera, et cetera. Which they did not do. Right, right. So... So that that's I just I don't understand this. I don't understand why the how the prosecutor uh, even accepted this. So right, right. So she's seeing this now. Her own. Tw- I mean, this is her, she's the mother of, of the uh, the daughter that was killed. Mm-hmm. And now she's seeing this and she says, oh, my gosh, he is not the guy that killed my daughter. Yeah. All I could think. Yeah, it's it's sad. And this is why I. Uh, like the Innocence Project, and I like. And you hate the death I penalty. Hate, yeah, <laughs> when when we got to that part when they started talking about the death penalty, it made me crazy. And then obviously, like in the beginning, you know that you're talking about someone who's been exonerated. I uh <laughs> Yeah, you've always hated the death penalty. Always hated it, and this is why. This mm-hmm. is why he, mm-hmm. you know, twenty years. Right, because he could have got the death penalty for this. Right, and we could be having a very different conversation mm-hmm. and the family could be feeling very different about it. You know, supposedly it costs more to keep someone on death row mm-hmm. than it does to just keep them in prison for life. Yeah. So well, that's another, so that's another reason P- fiscally I mean, people look at that as well. I, just watch, like do simple research. Death, uh, death row inmates are treated way better than regular inmates. Mm-hmm. They have a better quality of life and they're living longer because they can continue to mm-hmm. appeal and appeal and appeal. So, yeah, we're not. Gonna I, I actually think it's I think it's probably going to go away in a lot of states. Hopefully. <laughs> right. So I know you don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. Brian. Uh, Brian suggested that we make sure we put a limit on this topic for me because I can go off the rails. Yeah, when it comes no, I'm not worried about it. I've always known uh, every time I look at these cases, I go, oh, crap, is this the death, <laughs> a death penalty case that we're going to have argued a lot. And we're going to have to talk about it. Um, well, he didn't, but the judge spared him. So he's 30. Right. 30, right. Love the judge. Love that judge. Right. Okay. So the innocence project is, is involved now. Um, this is, you know, some famous I think they're lawyers. Mostly, I think they're mostly just providing financial support. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So they do a lot of, D, a lot of DNA stuff, a lot of DNA stuff, a lot of them. DNA stuff. Their website is amazing. I'm going to highlight it at the end and talk about it. One of their we'll lawyers is, you know, one of the main lawyers, Barry Sheck is, uh, I think mm-hmm. that's his name is, is one of the OJ, OJ lawyers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't even start on that one either. Yeah, so, and there's actually a Netflix show or something out about it too. It's yeah. it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's reputable reputable now. I mean, they're getting legit people out, you know, because and it's a it's lot amazing. of it's a lot of those cases from the fifties, sixties, seventies. Those those cases when they just weren't collecting DNA. So it's it's working. Stuff from yes, I mm-hmm. mean, honestly, stuff happens every day when police officers maybe aren't as experienced mm-hmm. in interrogating and stuff. And now you got Steve Carol Dodge. Carol Dodge, yeah. <laughs> now I get Carol Dodge, whose daughter died, and they think they have the guy in jail, and she's saying no. This, I mean, talk about integrity. Talk about, I mean, one of right. the police officers actually said, you know, she um, reminds you uh, about or, or lets you know that there's faith in humanity right. after all, you know. Yeah, it's very emotional. So that's in 2008. She comes to the realization that he could not have been involved in this. 
Again, over the years, he's still filing uh, petitions that are continuing to be dismissed. And he's each time is different. Like in September of 2012, he claims that the police department failed to share significant findings in the investigation. This is going to also be dismissed in 2015. Three years later, it's crazy how long it takes for them to do that. So in 2013, when she reviews the tapes and finds that comes to that realization, she actually is going to reach out to his to Christopher Tapp's defense attorney. Yeah, defense attorney. She calls John, the defense attorney. Right. John Thomas of the Bonville County Public Defender's Office. Can you imagine? Yeah. Hi, this is the mom of the victim. Yeah. Don't think he's guilty. <laughs> it, I mean, just, but just, hey, this is Carol Dodge. Just that alone. I think he says it in the documentary when they interview him. He says, I just froze. Like, what, what, oh my God, what am I, am I going to get yelled at? What's, what's, what's going on? What's, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty awesome. And they partnered call. up. And then in 2013, they are going to together reach out to a Stephen Drizzen. So he is the co-director of the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law. Mm -hmm. He's one of the nation's leading experts on false confessions. So we definitely need him. Um, And he's going to review the interrogation tapes. And he ends up writing a report that is used in um, Christopher Tapp's appeals. He says that Tapp was threatened with the death penalty and the gas chamber. Again, what what is that? Why I don't understand what they were threatening him. Yeah, they were just um, they were just making that up, saying no, that we have a gas chamber right, to throw them in. Right. So, well, that's probably how the death penalty was carried out in Idaho. Uh, <gasps> so, so yeah, you just you're trying to paint a picture. What? You're trying to paint a picture for the bad guy. Here, here's the thing. I didn't know that the was ba- a form. The back back to the um, ba- probably not anymore. I mean, but well, back to the back to the whole. In, in interview interrogation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and lying and and how you present mm-hmm. things to the to the bad guy. You you got to be sure, right? You probably want to have a whole bunch of evidence over here, and you probably want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how you present it to the bad guy. If you're lying for the sake of lying, and you have nothing to back it up with, you know, you, you're going to get in trouble. But yes, if you're lying. If, so the, he was probably trying to paint a picture. I'm not making excuses of the cop, but he probably was trying to paint a picture of what's what's going to happen to him, you know. And maybe if you confess, you know, we can get the death penalty off the uh, off the table. Pro- probably something like that. Right. Mm. You know, you get more than one subject. <laughs> Whoever talks first gets the best deal, right? <laughs> hey, your buddy in the other room has already come clean. So why don't you tell me what what what's going on? <laughs> That's another thing you used on me crying. But I said, you used to come home. Hey, Hannah, your mother already told me what happened at school today. So why don't you go ahead and tell me <laughs> your side of the story? So, as you guys can see, I've been treated as a suspect my whole life. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's more about. Uh, okay. Right. So, so uh, on wrongful confessions, uh, they're, they're looking at this. So they reach out to him. Again, he is still filing all these. Uh, petitions. He wants them to do more DNA testing. What is a convi- a, con- a post conviction relief petition? Is that just an appeal? Because that's what they were all. Yes. That's what they were. Oh, okay. It's just worded. Or fancy post conviction relief petition. Yeah. They're, they're trying to say yeah, uh, like an appeal. Okay. Just let me out of let me out of jail. Okay. Okay. Let me out of jail. So July of 2015, the Bonville County prosecutor Danny Clark hires a private firm to investigate Tapp's case. So this is the prosecutor now is getting involved. 
So now he's like, okay, let's bring someone else in. Let's take a a new look at it. Right. So I thought that was pretty awesome. And also, I think at this point, all all the cops are retired. The old those. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new detective force now. Right. At the police department. So Idaho Idaho Falls Police Department. Right. So he's going to hire a private firm, a PI, to investigate. And then there's really no information from that uh, for a couple years. March 22nd of 2017, Christopher Tapp is going to actually enter a plea that is to reduce the murder sentence and dismiss the rape conviction. So the judge is going to change the sentence to 20 years plus additional time served. So he's going to be released. So Carol Dodge... His defense attorney, Innocence Project. Prosecution. They they made a case that that this was wrong. Right. Uh, but they're going to... So originally, they came to him with a different plea. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, let's try and enter a plea agreement. And he said originally, no, I'm not going to say I'm guilty to anything. Mm-hmm. I want... Like, I'm innocent. I want you to prove that I'm innocent. So then they come back to him with this, where it's like, you'll get out now. Like, you'll be released. We'll, t- we'll get rid of the rape. the rape. yeah. Right, but you'll still have the murder conviction. He ends right. up taking this because uh, yeah, he's out, 20 he's years. Out of jail. Yeah. yeah, he was, what, I think he was like 17 when he went uh, in. 19? 17, 18. 19, something like that. 19. He was young yeah. when he went in. So he's like, okay, he takes that. So they are going to dismiss the rape charge leave on the murder sentence. Okay. So he is released. Carol is at this hearing, this court date. She's mm-hmm. there. So she gets to be there with him. This part was really sad to me too because he talks about it um, in the documentary. He talks about how, you know, when he was released, there was a bunch of media. And he, you know, when he went into jail in 1998, there was no cell phones. There was no mm-hmm. yeah. m- social media. It was, you know, he had to learn things. And he said that, Right after he was released, they went out to eat and the media followed him. And he was it was he said it was really embarrassing because he had to, like, learn how to eat in public with silverware and stuff. Yeah. With like the metal silverware Mm -hmm. and the media was just out there taking pictures. And that part to me was really sad Mm -hmm. that he missed a whole bunch of stuff. That's that's where we are with Christopher Tapp. He's released, but he is still a convicted Mm -hmm. murderer. So in 2018, this is where the good stuff comes into play. November of 2018, Carol reaches out to Cece Moore, someone we've talked about. So she reached out to her. <laughs> yes, Carol reached out to her. Okay. Yep. Carol reached out to her um, and Parabon Nanotech, which is the place out here in Virginia. Yep, we've talked about this several times. <laughs> I think was this the third or fourth one. Mm-hmm. So she is able to narrow down the DNA. So she's going to take on the case. She's right. like, okay, I'm going to help a- you. And she's going to touch base with the police department because there's all new investigators at this point. Uh, you know, it's a fresh, fresh look. Right. So she's able to narrow down the DNA. This is similar to the first one we talked about, to a marriage from the 1800s. Okay, so this is genealogy. This is DNA genealogy. Right. So you, you have a known profile. So now you're going to you're going to track it back the through the family tree and try to try to find a person that's in the area and the same age, maybe maybe the same time frame, the same age. Right. So she narrows it down to six men who were relatives of that couple from the 1800s on mm-hmm. this family tree. Five of them live in like, I think it was like Missouri. Hello, yeah, like Midwest, the East Coast. Right. There's one that lives in Idaho and it's Not a couple hours qu- away. Yeah, it's a couple hours away. Not quite in Idaho, Idaho Falls. Okay, so that's all right. Good. 
So now they have to obtain a DNA sample. And this is pretty cool how they did it. This whole section of the... about this before, yeah. Right. But this this is actually... So this is in, like I said, 2018. So they are filming this for the documentary mm-hmm. that was just released a couple yeah. weeks ago. We actually have footage of all of this happening. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. They are going to follow this man and his son. So they stake out his like little farm area. Mm-hmm. They follow him and they are going to actually end up getting his spit sample because he spits the on son. the ground. No, the son oh, is the, in the car. On oh, the car. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> the, the, the dad. So he the, spit, he's doing chew tobacco. Right. So they swab that up. But the son is driving um, expired on expired registration. So they when they got to the town, they actually um, got in contact with the local police department. So they knew what they were doing. So yep. they actually have the local police department pull him over on expired tags they come up with some well, reason to breathalyze him. They were him. surveilling him because they were waiting to get right. an opportunity. And that's when they noticed that he had expired tags. Right. So, so they said, hey, go pull him over. Right. So they come up with a reason to breathalyze him. And Well, I think it was consent, right? So expired tags, that's probable cause that something's going on. So they asked him, hey, do you mind if we yeah. give you a breathalyzer? Yeah, sure. I'm not drunk. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Let me blow on that thing. Good for them. So they get that. So he drives off and they remember? hand it over. <sighs> there it is. It's all the DNA right there. <laughs> these, remember I told yeah. you? We, we spit it out everywhere. Yep. So uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. So they they get they get his they get the dad's DNA and the son's DNA. This is so. I mean, this has got to be it, right? Because the genealogy works. It's right. And by the way, I liked. The captain in charge when they were rallying up the, the the cops before this operation, before the surveillance operation, they actually mentioned it. They said, "Look, this is this is important to our department as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, because the department essentially got it wrong, right? So this right. is this was important. So they and they were motivated. The whole fresh crew, they were motivated. And they were pretty excited to to maybe get a bad guy. Which I'm so glad that they had that." look that outlook mm, yeah, on it yeah. that's what drives me crazy when it comes to the death penalty and wrongful convictions mm-hmm. that makes me so passionate is that a lot of times we don't see that so mm-hmm. for them to yeah. say recognize that people before them made a mistake yeah. all right so they but they put the dna in the the thing and 30 seconds later it comes out guys <laughs> it is not a match i'm just kidding 30 seconds later that's a tv show oh, right. yeah i skipped yeah. that. <laughs> another dad joke yeah uh, it's not a match. Not a match. Cece is bummed. She's frustrated. In the documentary, she talks about it. She's frustrated because, you know, yep. it's never failed her before. She's gotten it right. Mm-hmm. It's Carol, again, that really motivates her to go back to the drawing board, though. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing everything that's happened in this yeah, case, she really she wants to get it right. She actually says that Carol Dodge is the one. Because well, she, she went back. She went met with her initially, and she's the one that says, look, we got we to gotta solve this case. So Right. And not only that... So she also says that, like, this is a, a lot riding on this case, not only to bring justice for Angie Dodge, but also Christopher Tapp mm-hmm. is released, but he's still a convicted murderer. Right. And they believe that, I mean, in the eyes of the court, he's still convicted, but they, right. they believe that he he didn't do it. Right. Which, you know, affects every part of your life. Right. So there's still, and, a, and this is why, you know, they... <laughs> Hail Carol Dodge is, is a big hero because she is because there's there's a guy that's still living that his world is turned upside down. So if they can write Thank that God as well, he's still living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, right. It makes me angry, but I'm so glad that it turned out good yeah. in this case. So she goes back to the drawing board and she ends up able, she's able to find one man in the family that had been married and divorced early on in life. She said it was like the woman was like 16 years old and she mm. was, so she's thinking like, okay, why do people get married at 16? Because of a kid, right? Of a That's kid. so pregnancy. But there was no like record of a kid from that marriage on right. that family tree. So she goes back down that family tree. She kind of goes backwards a little bit, and she finds that after they were divorced, that woman had actually she did have a son from that marriage, but he was living under his stepfather's his name. Stepfather's name. So they they just missed it. That's all. Right. Simple. Easy. Simple. Simple miss. And of course, some listeners may say, "Ha, see." That's that's an example of how you can't trust the DNA, you know. But she went back and she found it. Right. Brian L. Drips Sr. So uh, that is who comes up in her search. So. Okay, so now there's, the, there's a new suspect. So now we got to do it all over again, guys. <laughs> so we got to rally the team, um, draft up a surveillance plan, and... Go collect DNA somehow from this individual. So we are Be- because in Caldwell. Let me, let me back up. Because there's no probable cause. So this is genealogy. Right. There's no probable cause to get a warrant. So they have to somehow collect DNA as it's discarded. Right. We are in 2019. We are in Caldwell, Idaho, where uh, Drips is living. Oh, oh, and by the way, when when that profile came back... The person was living in Idaho Falls. Right. It came back with him living. Yeah. Right, right. Yep. So they're like, woohoo. So. 2019, and they got a suspect, and he smokes. Thank you. You, Yeah, you, you, you interrupted me, so Sorry, I go threw ahead. off my train of thought. Sorry. So, yeah, he, we are in Caldwell, Idaho, and we're going to stake him out again. They're going to kind of learn for a couple of days his route pa- where pattern he goes of every life, day right so right. this is what they do pattern of life hey let's just follow this guy and see what he's doing right mm-hmm. well they identified that he smokes that's that's a score because they're going to look for a discarded cigarette butt right and then what does he do where does he go you know pattern of life and they actually identify that every day pretty quickly they identified this like real quick that he leaves at the same time every day and he goes to what does he go to he stopped to get like a drink and then the bank yeah the bank like almost every single day Mm -hmm. he leaves about the same time right so (laughs) which is uh, thank goodness bad guys are stupid (laughs) yeah so they're going to follow him. They tail him. And again, we have footage of this. I, I thought it was kind of funny because I kind of felt like being because we're in the car with them while they're mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah. It was kind of almost a little bit too obvious. I felt like the guy with the binoculars. Yeah. You, like, how is some no of one noticing some of that's that? Drama, but you can't. So when you're doing surveillance, you're the one that feels like you're being seen. But think about it. Next time you get out in your car and start driving around. Hey, I paid. No, I pay attention to everything. Oh, that's right. You're, you're paying attention. <laughs> I'm looking at everything at all times. But you're not paying attention to see if someone's following you. Actually, <laughs> yes, I am. All right. 100%. Most, most people know, aren't. Quite often, it, this is probably your fault. Quite often, I take t- turns, unnecessary turns, if I feel like someone has been <laughs> behind me for too long. Okay. I will get in another lane. I'll make an unnecessary turn. I'll pull in somewhere. I, yeah, I you're 100% crazy. do this. All right. <laughs> this is your well, fault. Most people, most people don't. So, <laughs> Well, right. you should. Um, I also, when we were in Okinawa, I cannot remember, it was one of my friends was talking about her mom had told her, or it was in a class, forget exactly how, 
they were saying that if you are being followed by someone to try and like write or like in the review mirror show them that you're paying attention to their license plate like make it known that you see their license plate and that'll typically scare them off oh i don't know about that yeah i've i've tried i've done that before too where i've looked at their license plate and i'm mm-hmm. like looking at them mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's all right yeah things that i do okay where are we at so okay so they're gonna they have his location yeah his they pattern. have his pattern of life and they want to get a discarded cigarette butt so they're following him. There's like three of them behind him. Oh, there's more than that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and they bu- they, got, they got the local cops to help too. So they see him discard a cigarette. They get really excited. It was so funny to watch. He's like, he lit a cigarette. He lit a cigarette. A- and there it is on the ground. So they stop and there's like three, four cop cars stopped in the street and blocking traffic. No, that was the second one. Nope. First one. It was both. Oh, did but, they? Yeah. So, oh, I, did, I, I mean, I'm paying attention to those kind of things, okay. right? Because <laughs> so they go over. There it is. Oh, wait a minute. There's two, three, four butts. Oh, wait a minute. And and next thing you know, there's cigarette butts all over the street. Right. So they can't like, and this is what we were talking about but previously. Mm-hmm. They can't grab a cigarette because they can't no, say definitely. It, this is a, this they is could risky. grab all of them, yeah, right? You can't. That's but. not. That's not. That's not. That's not worth it. That right. Yeah. This is risky because you got to have eyes on. You got to have eyes on that cigarette. And I think I talked about this before. I said, oh, you know, you got to have eyes on because one of the cases we did, they grabbed a cup, um, a a DNA, uh, um, the the restaurant. restaurant. And you got to have eyes on because you got to be able to testify in court that you secured that. You know that that came from that that individual. And right. So it just, they said, nope, there's just, we can't do it. The cigarette butts everywhere. So they, it was a wash for that day. So the next day they go at it again and they are able to this time get a cigarette butt. The same thing. He comes out new time, you know, driving and he flicks a cigarette butt out there and they see it hit the ground and they they stop block traffic. Like I said, this was a little bit more obvious in, in the yeah, footage. Yeah. And they secure that, um, that cigarette. To be those people stopped. And watching someone in plain clothes. Well, and then you got a film crew too, you know. Yeah, yeah like yeah. The, I was all I could think about was those people in that in the cars. Like, mm-hmm. is this real? Is this fake? Mm-hmm. With the film crew, it's interesting. So they grab a cigarette butt that they they one hundred percent sure that that this suspect had thrown out of his car. Yep, they test it and it comes back as a match. As a match, yeah. <laughs> it is a positive match to the DNA that was left at uh, the crime scene. Now. What do they have to do, Dad? Like, what's the next step? Oh, so so they, they <laughs> it's it's a match. So they have to, you know. So now they have to build a case against the individual. So so they're gonna go yeah. pick him up to bring him in to talk, R- right? right? Not the, necessarily yeah. arrest, just to talk. Yeah, they're gonna. Their approach was they're gonna go. They want to go interview him, mm-hmm. right? You know, they they probably. So this is different than uh, than some of the cases. They probably already did their background because when when the DNA profile comes back, said so this is the suspect. They probably started doing all their uh, their background on him. Yeah, so this is actually where they find out not mm. only was he living in Idaho Falls yeah. at the time of her murder, he was actually living right across the street from her. So, so they're like, I oh. mean, so that so now the, do, you, do you see? So they're building the case, right? right? Oh my god, Andy lived across the street. Wow, we couldn't. I mean, it couldn't get any better than that. Yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna go grab him. They're not gonna arrest him, but they want to go get him and say, "Come on with us, mm-hmm. and we want to interview you." Right, they follow so him to the bank. You you There's have like to four of them. You have to take. You have to 
now you're sizing up the suspect, right? What's his known history? What's his criminal history? Mm-hmm. Plus he's, you know, how many years ago he, he 20 years ago he, um, was it 20? Yeah, in yeah. 2018. He, yeah, he, yeah. he raped and murdered somebody, so he's he's potentially dangerous. What's going on since then? So you have to figure out how to approach him, when and where to approach him. Right. So and they know he goes to the bank every day or, every, or however often it was. Yeah, it was a lot. So they follow him in to, or they follow him to the bank. Two people go in. Two, uh, two sort of casual right. cops go in, follow him in, they're radioing out. And then as he comes walking out, two detectives in suits, in suits, 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 w- suits. W- w- walk up to him and said, hey, we want to talk to you. Um, would you like to come back Come back to the police station? In this particular case, they one, he, he said, well, can I, drive, can I drive my truck back to my house and then we'll go with you guys? So one of the detectives gets in the, his truck with him. Because he had his dog with him too. Yeah. The detective gave the other detective a thumbs up. I'm I'm good. I, I got this. I'm good. Because that's not... You yeah, know, the one cop was like, I don't yeah, like that. I don't like uh, that. Yeah, that's like not that. good. So he said, okay, he's good. And then they followed him. But he followed him back to his house. And he, he drops the um the truck off. I think he was living with his mom. Okay, so he drops the truck and the dog off. And then they go to the police station. He is going to be interviewed. It was like five. It was five hours. Okay, five hours is a little bit better then. Uh, definitely better than 60 hours um yeah i like five hours yeah. a lot better yeah um so he is going to deny 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 for the first few mm-hmm. hours and then they are going to present him with the dna evidence mm-hmm. and he's like well yeah can't argue that and yep. he confesses and he, and he does say that he was the only one involved yep so that is good yep for christopher taps so May 15th, 2019, he is 53 years old at this time, and he is arrested and charged with the murder and rape of Angie Dodge. He says that he acted alone and only intended to rape her and says, apparently, I killed her. So it kind of yeah. makes me think that maybe he didn't know that he killed her or he's just saying that. Yeah, yeah, because he left there thinking that she was still alive. Yeah, she was still alive. But then, like, he lived right across the street, so he had to have known that she was not. So well, he, apparently, I killed her was like, mm. Yeah, I mean that's an admission. Uh, that that's okay. That's what you th- you you killed. You just admitted to raping her. So right. So that's May fifteenth. May sixteenth is when they. And this is two thousand nineteen. Is when the Idaho Falls police announced that they have charged him. Um, and Christopher Taps was Christopher Tap. Sorry, not Taps was present for this press conference along with Carol. So they kind of they sat down with Carol first right. to tell her this, and yes. then they had the press conference. And so it was very emotional yeah. for for Carol Dodge um, and for the police department. The police department feels sort of exonerated too that they got it right. But Carol Dodge actually admitted to ha- not having a good relationship with her family, her grandchildren, et cetera, because she was so obsessed with this for twenty something years. 14 grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. Red. She has. Yeah. So that's cr- uh, crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Crazy. Sad. Christopher Tapp is there. What I really appreciated too is in everything in the interviews and everything. He was not like he even says there was no animosity. There was no bitterness. Mm-hmm. He was there for Angie and Carol. He was mm-hmm. there for them. He wasn't there for himself. And I really appreciated yeah. that too. Yeah. That he didn't let any of, you know, the 20 years sit poorly with him. He knows his time's coming now. In the documentary, a news reporter is even at that time. Right, asked, this is real footage. We keep saying documentary, but this is it's real, actual real, real footage. Real yeah, footage. yeah. yeah. She, the 
the news reporter asks the the police officer if they're gonna apologize. She and I, goes, no, I love. I know that uh, this this was a different police department then, but are you guys gonna apologize? Uh, but I loved his response. He mm-hmm. said, "Today is about uh, Angie Angie Dodge, and right? We, and he will get his his time. Just today is not and is he, not that. I, I love it. Just stay. He straight nodded out. and yeah. smiled too. So yeah. I, you know, his, but he knows yeah, he, he knows he's getting his time. Yeah, he, he knew all along. So he even says it was good to be there for Carol. Yeah. Um, so then later that year, a few months later, he is going to be exonerated. And Carol is present for this as well. Yep. Um, the judge dismisses it. Yeah, <laughs> finally. And they walk out of the courthouse together. It was it was really awesome. His yeah, they family, did. Yeah. His family. Or she met him out front. I can't remember. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I remember them walking out. Mm, walking out together. Yeah, yeah. In the video. His family had shirts on that said told you so. Or. The friends. It was the, was f- it the circle friends? of friends. Well, his family and cause, friends. Yeah, because a, a lot of the friends were lined up as suspects early on. So right. they all had shirts that said innocent. It's like told you so. Or innocent. Or it was on the front said innocent. Yeah. On the back said told you told so. Told you so. Yeah. So. so that's crazy but awesome. Um, and then he has filed a civil lawsuit against the city of Idaho Falls. And seven of, of the former police officers, those former police officers have filed a motion to dismiss the case. Yeah, that's fine. So. That, that's that's not a big deal they they proved that the uh interrogation was coerced and and mm-hmm. etc they proved that there was an error and as such the judge dismissed the, the charges and they caught the real the real killer that's pretty damning evidence towards a, a civil suit which is uh preponderance of the evidence versus reasonable doubt so he's right. going to get a payday right uh, I feel like it'll probably take a while, though. Mm. What about, do we have a court date yet for this for the other guy? S- yes. So he actually he's not going to court per se on oh, February 9th, twenty twenty one. So this year, just last what month are we in? Jeez. He uh, Brian Drips pleads guilty to the rape and murder, and the plea deal involves life in prison and to be eligible for parole only after at least twenty years. Yeah. Okay. Which I did an eye roll. How about we do no parole for yeah. someone who lived 20? He had parole for 20 years, you know? I, well, how old, how old is the guy? This, at, at 53. Yeah, so eligible still, at 70 or y- yeah. 73? Yeah. How about like, let's mm. not be eligible at yeah, all? Yeah, I know. Mm, just saying. Um, well, how about we have the death penalty? N- no. <laughs> okay. Um, you can sit in prison for for that for the rest of your life. (laughs) You want to talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a much longer podcast episode. And then sentencing is scheduled for April 27th. So next month in a few weeks, he's going to be sentenced. All right. Sad story, but, but ultimately a a good ending. And, And again, they, you know, the mom of the victim, boy, just relentless. And if she had not, pursued it to include saying look the guy you have in jail for killing my daughter is not the guy right if she had not pursued that then it wouldn't have had this ending listen here you said why not the death penalty here's why not because someone sat in prison for 20 years (laughs) on you you know an innocent man (laughs) that's why not so okay good I do want to highlight uh, the innocence project and then uh, something that Carol and her son has done so the Innocence Project we talked about briefly. It did play a small role in this case. I think they mostly just provided financial support for everything. 
Uh, it was founded in 1992 at Cardozo, Cardozo School of Law. Um, it helps to exonerate wrongly convicted people through DNA testing and reforms in, criminal ju- in the criminal justice system to prevent wrongful convictions from continuing to happen. You can go online to innocenceproject.org to read more about the cases that they're working on. You can find out how to get involved, make donations, sign petitions. You can create Facebook fundraisers. Donate to the Exoneree Fund, which supports people getting exonerated on the outside, like healthcare and housing, mm-hmm. which I think that's awesome. You can also purchase merch, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And then that money goes to all of those things listed above, too. Yeah. So if you just want to buy okay. shirts and mugs and stuff. Cool. Uh, there's many other ways to get involved on the Innocence Project. I could not list them all because there were so many. Okay. Please go to the website and check it out. Carol Dodge and her son Brent, they have created a nonprofit organization. It's uh, Five for Hope. It raises funds to provide um, help to solve cold cases like Angie's um, with like techno, techno, I'm going to mess up this word, technological aid. So, technology, <laughs> that was really difficult. Pretty simple word, Hannah. Yeah. Listen. All right. So, they have a GoFundMe and they raise money to you know, give supplies and testing equipment to police departments that maybe don't have yeah. a lot of funding to go towards these things. Yeah, especially like the DNA. Remember we talked mm-hmm. about that. That that could cost a lot of money. Yeah, what was it? It was the Girl Scouts one. It was $30,000 they raised. Right, right. And I think they were still needing more. Yeah, DNA, con- yeah. Yeah, Analysis. so, you know, all of this stuff, technology costs money. And, mm. you know, it takes technology to solve all these cases like we are now. So Okay, cool. Uh, they really are just raising money for that. And I think that's really awesome. This was this was a good one. Yep. This was awesome. a good recent one. Yep. All right. Good good deal. So thank you guys for sticking with us through this one. It was it was a tough one to get to get through for me. So if you have been enjoying listening to us, you can find us on all of pretty much all the platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Stitcher now. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Uh, give us some feedback. We love reading all of them. It helps us uh, get to more people. And you can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. We post behind the scenes, updates, just fun little stuff over there. And we will see you guys next week. All right. Later. Bye. Bye.